This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we are committed to building professional development systems, including project management and people leadership programs that support the growth of engineers and their firms. Download our AE Industry Trends Report for insights on the great resignation, remote work productivity, and people-centric cultures. To get your copy, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, where I'll be talking with Andrew Tempty, the CFA and former CEO of Kaplan Professional. He's the author of Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, and host of the Balancing Act Podcast. We'll be talking about enhancing leadership and organizational development in today's dynamic business landscape. Andrew has previously seen episode 239, where he talked about how to effectively lead people. In today's episode, he will reveal key strategies from his new book, The Balanced Business, such as strategies for building trust and accountability within teams, the importance of continuous improvement, and the integration of emotional intelligence with technical skills in leadership. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the author of The Intentional Engineer, and you can find more info on me at jeff-perry.com. And this is the Engineering Career Coach Podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump right into the main segment of our episode. Today, I have the pleasure to have with me Andy Tempty. Andy, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. Thanks for having me, Jeff. All right, Andy, I'm sure there's plenty of listeners that don't know anything about you, so I'd love to have you introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. What does life look like for you on a daily basis? So I'm the former chief executive of Kaplan Professional. Many of your listeners would likely know Kaplan or its subsidiary organization, PPI, which created all sorts of training materials for the FE and PE exams. And uh, I had the distinct pleasure of leading that acquisition uh, at Kaplan back in 2018 uh, when PPI became part of the Kaplan family. So I am a professional educator by training. I'm a finance professor in my previous life. So I'm a finance guy. I have a passion for professional education and training. Also have some experience in higher education. And uh, what I'm doing now since I left Kaplan back in 2022, I'm packaging up everything that I've accumulated over the last uh, 35 years in business into a, a set of consumable assets for your listeners to uh, grow and learn in their careers. Okay, so let's talk about one of them. Talk to us about the balanced business. What is this? And tell us more about it. So the balanced business is my second book. It is a management operating system. My first book was called Balancing Act, and uh, it was kind of half autobiography and half business book. It was a set of stories that really tell the what and the why behind the balancing acts that we play in both our personal lives and our professional lives. The second book is the how. It is 
the platform on top of which uh, you can build any long-term sustainable business venture. So the book starts is really cut into two halves. The first half is the strategic, that the strategic elements of any successful sustainable business. And then the second half really gets into the tactical nuts and bolts of goal setting, continuous improvement tools, organizational health uh, tools that you can implement in your business. Does it matter what kind of business we're talking about? Like if I'm just a single person or early startup versus, you know, something like Kaplan, who's been around for a while and, and acquiring other businesses, does it matter? The book is really designed for post startup. There's traction by Gino Wickman. There's the EOS uh, system for startups. My work really kind of rides alongside of those and it takes the place of, okay, I've reached scale. I'm out of startup mode. I've got over a hundred employees. I don't remember everybody's name anymore. I have teams that are working at cross purposes, fighting with each other. I've got all this entropy that has occurred and warts that have grown on my business. How do I clean all that up? How do I sustain the scale and growth that I've experienced? So even if you're in early startup stage, the book is really for you because these are all things that you want to be thinking about while you're in fast growth mode so that when you reach scale, you've got a, a really solid foundation to sit upon. So any you know businesses between 25 million and a billion and a half, that's kind of my target market. Anything that businesses that are really, really big, they can peel off parts of the management operating system. You know, it's really a book that's designed for, if you were 300 million, 400 million in scale, the book is really, really for you and your leadership teams. With a company or business that's that size, some of the things that have become more and more important over the last few years, and it's really gotten a lot more traction and headspace for people, is challenges and opportunities around diversity, equity, and inclusion. So how does the book and some of the principles you share there address some of those issues that a business needs to consider? A common thread that runs through all of my work is that we are stronger together than we are as individuals or even subgroups. The power of diversity in businesses and including the voices of the people that work for you, especially on the front lines of your business. Far too often, the frontline personnel of any business, irrespective of industry, really get ignored. Uh, senior leadership is too far removed. They're up off in an ivory tower somewhere, shouting orders down at the people. Well, the real work happens at the coal face. It happens right where the work is transpiring. So getting close to the work and listening to the voices of the people that you're working with and having individuals from different backgrounds, different cultures, different perspectives 
while it may seem like it uh, is more difficult because those people don't look like you, they don't talk like you, you're going to go farther with uh, a more diverse set. And there's all sorts of research out there that says businesses that embrace uh, diversity and inclusion, different voices, they go farther, they ultimately perform better than those that take a very narrow approach. And frankly, businesses and leaders that hire people that look like them, talk like them, and uh, will frankly take orders from them, it might be easier to run that business, but you're just not going to get as far. Beyond that, like some of the biggest opportunities, but also challenges when you're running a business at scale and there are these big decisions to make. So you were talking about your experience at Kaplan, like brought in an acquired PPI and brought that into the family. These things that at companies, the scales you're talking about, acquisitions, mergers, you know, new products and service lines and different things, the criticality of making good business decisions is a huge issue. So how do you teach and approach that using you know, the logic, collecting the data, thinking critically, also having the many conversations, whether and plenty of people are going to have disagreements and different views on different things. How do you approach that decision making with inside the book and in, in your work? I'm going to make the wild assumption that most of your listeners are engineers. Decision making is an absolutely uh, critical part of any leader's venture in any business, irrespective of industry classification. And in terms of decision-making, uh, storytelling is a skill that rides right alongside uh, really good decision-making. And uh, having making sure you've got all the data, you've developed the models that are essential to tell the story, and the, this audience, engineers, are going to be a critical part of that. And when I think about decision-making, you try to remove emotion from the equation, bring in the voices of other individuals in the organization. Decision-making by committee is always very difficult. So there's a fine line, there's a balancing act to be played uh, between collecting all of the data, then applying your critical thinking skills to, and the information that you've received from all those different voices, from different perspectives, and then finally making the best decision possible given all of that data. So my book, methodically goes through setting up the purpose of your business, uh, establishing a clear vision for the future, ensuring your culture is well established, that you've got learning and development right in the foreground of your business processes. Those are all then lead to great decision-making. So you've got to have the structure in place, the management operating system to make great decisions, because otherwise you're going to be doing all sorts of ad hoc decisions. You're going to be pulling your teams kind of to and fro, and uh, that's a recipe for disaster. Yes, yeah, so you need to have that, that stability, that vision, and the purpose, and all that stuff that you're building on as things continue to change and grow, right? We were talking earlier about like 
talking about the frontline people and, and their experience around the culture and the business. I want to get back to that. And, you know, we're talking to engineers here. So kind of try and put this in an engineering context, but we're trying to build a culture of respect and understanding for people in teams and across teams who are working together to accomplish whatever tasks or projects or business goals that they're working on. What do we emphasize to really build those sorts of relationships instead of feeling like they're warring with each other for resources and time and attention like sometimes they can feel? Well, an important thing for your listeners to remember is the enemy is not within the business. Uh, you're all on the same team. You're all theoretically working to common goals and common purposes. So the uh, willingness and ability of senior leadership in the organization to clearly define the purpose, the vision, the operational objectives, and make sure that everybody knows what everybody else is doing in the company, that then removes a great deal of the obfuscation and the mystery around how work actually transpires so that Susie and Billy, working in different departments of the organization, they understand how work happens and we can create an environment where workflows are as smooth as possible, handoffs of information and work product are smooth between departments. And then what happens is trust starts to build between Susie and Billy. They start to rely upon one another and they begin to feel more comfortable in holding one another accountable for the work product that they need to move whatever it is along the value stream that and ultimately out to the customer. And finally, the focus becomes on the customer instead of in warring between departments and you didn't give me what I needed at the time that I needed it and I'm mad at you and all of a sudden you have this internal focus to your teams and you forget about who's paying the bills, which is ultimately the customer and it's customer satisfaction that in the long term grows your business. Yeah. So looking at those things that, you know, why are we doing even what we're doing and how does that connect with the bigger vision and everything? And I love what you're saying, like the enemy is not within. We are on the same team. Let's work together and figure out and seek to understand what the other people are trying to do. And how do I fit into that and help that or hinder that with the work that I'm doing and in all the right ways? I find a lot of those times it's just a misunderstanding and we're, we're just not caring about other people and only focus on ourselves when there's challenges there. Yeah, that phrase, seek to understand, is a mindset that I would implore your listeners to adopt. And it's very easy to fall into the trap of imagining that your work partners somehow have it out for you, you know, in that conflict that you described before. 
Uh, but in most cases, people are just trying to do their best work within the confines of how their department operates and what the goals are for their part of the organization. And many times those goals are not communicated across departments or well understood and so we jump to conclusions that this department is trying to make life miserable for us. And so we got to stick it to them. And it's really easy to fall into that trap when everybody's just trying to do their best work. So instead of jumping to those conclusions, take that seek to understand mindset. Hey, do I have this right? Is this really how uh, work functions in your side of the business? How can we work together? to improve this for the customer. Yeah, and I'm sure we could have a whole other discussion on whether on how we make sure goals and incentives and other things align with what the business and the teams truly need to do. <laughs> that could be a discussion for another day, I'm sure. So in both of your books, The Balancing Act and The Balanced Business, this idea of balance is, is critical. So you know, one of the things you talk about is the balance of trust and accountability when it comes to the health of an organization. So elaborate on this a little bit more in particular how leaders and engineering leaders can maintain this balance with trust and accountability. The important thing to start with is that businesses go through different phases of their development, the early stage maturation, late stage, etc. And especially during the early stages of a business's life cycle, it is more often the case that you're running really fast, that you're adding new customers, you're growing like a weed. And during that process of rapid growth, there can be warts that grow. Uh, the concept of, we're talking to engineers here, so the second law of uh, thermodynamics, this concept of entropy that over time, with enough time, everything falls apart, <laughs> to put it as simply as possible. That is happening to your business as time goes on if you are not paying attention. And all of a sudden, you can wake up with a whole host of operational and process challenges that are driving everybody bananas. And that's where teams start to battle with one another over precious resources because all of a sudden we're not growing at the pace that we were before we reach uh, some type of status quo. And the fabric of the organization starts to tug at itself and the culture of the organization isn't really what you expected it to be. So what do you do? You've got trust becomes an issue because trust starts to break down because workflows aren't as smooth as they were and people aren't holding themselves and other teams accountable because everybody's warring with one another. So you fix that by through clarity and transparency and the identification of the standard work uh, in lean and continuous improvement parlance. So establishing clear goals 
and the standard work of teams and communicating that effectively over and over and over and over again is how you create the environment where people can begin to trust one another, can feel safe, the psychological safety to challenge one another in the business environment so that we can all get better and all continuously improve. So smooth workflows create an environment where we can hold one another accountable and ultimately trust will build as a result of establishing those smooth workflows. And I think what you're talking about, that continuous communication around that, like this is the intention. We may not be all the way there to those smooth workflows today, but we are working towards that. And when there's a, a breakdown, something doesn't happen, being willing to, as a leader, especially being willing to take accountability for that, that builds trust that, hey, something goes wrong. They're going to own this instead of blame that on someone else. They want to improve with me instead of point fingers at me. And I can trust that everyone is working on this together. And and so uh, you talked about like broken expectations, like expectations sometimes can just lead to resentment, but instead like commitments and agreements that trust and the accountability there is what drives things forward instead of unmet, unspoken, usually expectations. Yeah. All sorts of unspoken rules and secrets and you know you're in trouble when a leader of a department says oh there's no problems in my department what i've got going right here everything's just fine green lights all around yeah all of our problems are over there and just remember for your listeners if i point a finger at you three more are pointing right back at me <laughs> <laughs> and then your thumb is up there in the air somewhere. I don't know where, what that's pointing at. Yeah, who knows where the thumb's headed. But you were talking about the idea of continuous improvement, especially with workflows and engineers talking about processes and things a lot. Like, how do we approach that? You know, we could talk about lean, we could talk about quality, Six Sigma, or other things. But how do we implement them and say, hey, there's a breakdown here somewhere? How do I implement and do? the next stage of improvement to get a little bit better as we move forward. In my experience of implementing continuous improvement practices within the business, two things typically happen. First, senior leadership does not adopt those principles. They want everybody else to do it, but they themselves want to work to a different cadence and believe that uh, those principles don't apply to them. I'm here to tell you that if your people all have standard work, a leader needs to have standard work as well. And if your people see that the leader of the organization is not ascribing to continuous improvement principles, they're going to go, well, why should I adopt these? This is all of a sudden, just a flavor of the month and extra work for me. Goes back to those principles of trust we were talking about earlier, right? Absolutely. And then the other thing that prevents continuous improvement from uh, really being adopted, it is sold and there's a whole additional set of language that everybody has to learn. It typically adds a layer of complexity onto 
the existing work and people look at it as extra work that, oh, I've got to adhere to these continuous improvement principles, but it's really mucking up my workflows to do that. And continuous improvement isn't built into the flow of work because it ends up being too complicated. One of the things I do in my book is I boil down, I got two chapters on continuous improvement, and I boil it down into some very, very simple concepts. Continuous improvement is about three things. It's about identifying and minimizing waste. It's about respecting your people. And it's about having a maniacal focus on your customer. Continuous improvement is nothing more than those three things. And oh, by the way, the link between organizational health and continuous improvement is in the respect for people bit where we're creating clarity, we're communicating, we're being transparent, we're being appropriately vulnerable and authentic as a leader. Everybody puts their pants on one leg at a time. You know, leaders aren't really any different from anybody else in that respect. So be have a modicum of vulnerability and definitely be authentic and uh, it's amazing what happens when you take all of that complexity out of the equation and adopt the components of continuous improvement and organizational health that work for you and your business. It is not a one-size-fits-all strategy. We're kind of zooming in and out, and I like that in our conversation. I want to zoom back in towards the frontline folks. Now, one of the challenges and opportunities with the business also is bringing people up through the organization, whether, you know, you bring people in, you start on whether through internships, apprenticeships, things like that. But then obviously you're an educator by with background and in a lot of the work that you've done. So the idea of helping to create an environment of learning and development and getting people ready with the skills and the culture set to grow in the company is a big deal. So how do you approach this to align these things, get people ready for work, using, you know, exposure, things like internships, apprenticeships, building in learning opportunities, maybe experiential learning to give the employees and you know, we're talking engineers what they need in today's workplace. So the old world is the world where you went to college, learned a bunch of skills, you took the FE exam, you showed up for the first day of work and the boss expected you to hit the ground running on day one. That's all dead and gone. And if folks are still behaving that way, you got to stop. Because colleges and universities, they're doing a great job. But one of the things that there's all sorts of data is that to support is that the job readiness of college graduates is really at all-time lows. Or at least the perception of job readiness one by an older generation of a younger generation is at all-time lows. So what I recommend, and it's and the learning and development chapter in my book is chapter number seven. It's very early in the book for a reason, is because we need to weave learning and development into the flow of work. We need to ensure that individuals of all flavors and all shapes and sizes take a lifelong approach to learning and development. 
again, the days are gone when you acquire a skill set and that's going to somehow serve you for a long period of time. Especially in engineering today, things are moving so fast in terms of new skills, new things to learn, that assuming that your people are going to learn all of that off the job and then bring it in somehow that's just a fallacy. So leaders of engineering organizations should be weaving learning into the flow of work. You use the word experiential, making things as job applicable and experiential as possible is going to be key. One other thing which is absolutely essential is I believe strongly that developing internal mentoring and coaching networks within the business will create an environment of connectivity between individuals who maybe have a little bit more information, a little bit more experience, and will naturally bring individuals along. If you're an engineering leader listening to this, Think about developing coaching and mentoring networks within your business and assigning and aligning more senior individuals to the more junior individuals to purposefully bring them along. You'll get greater retention, you're learning and develop, you'll have smarter folks who know the business, they'll stick with you and ultimately uh, produce more over the long term. To jump on that just a little bit further, like you were talking about, hey, the traditional way that people are kind of used to is you go to college and then they can come right in and, and do their thing. But what are your thoughts on kind of alternative educational pathways and how they can be used to develop work readiness and, and people being ready and, and confident into you know, coming into the workplace? The world of engineering is one that uh, very much like the world of finance that I grew up in, to be frank, it is very white. It is very male. They're both very white and male. And we suffer from that lack of diversity. But that lack of diversity is kind of built into the system, meaning that in both professions, it's in many cases, a requirement to go to a four-year institution, to earn a college degree, to take on all of the debt that's associated with that, to take oneself out of the workplace. And who has the ability to do all of that? It is the privileged in our society that are really able to do that. Mom and dad paying for college and slash or being able to, having the background, high school background, to be able to enter college. We need alternative pathways into the world of work to provide more opportunity to individuals who come from different backgrounds that will ultimately be able to contribute to the field. So, you know, this goes all the way back into our middle schools and even our elementary schools to try to develop systems to get folks interested in engineering earlier, women, individuals of color. Uh, and I know a lot of this is happening in the STEM fields generally. There's a lot of energy here 
But to assume that everybody can go to college, spend four years out of the world of work, let's think about different models. There may be models where you come in as an apprentice right out of high school and you're learning and earning on the job and ultimately gaining the credentials and on-the-job credits to ultimately get that college degree. Uh, So in finance, in engineering, and a whole host of, of other job classifications, it's no shock that we're running out of We've got a huge demographic problem in developed economies across the world where many more people are retiring that are coming into the professions, and we're going to have a tremendous workplace a human capital shortage if we can't figure out how to create more viable pathways into critical jobs like engineering than we have today. And today's path is basically there's an expensive college, try to get in, and then we'll see you on the other side. Andy, this has been a fabulous conversation. I think our listeners have probably already taken a lot out of this. Whether or not they're thinking about growing businesses or they're thinking about growing their own career, there's a lot of principles here that anyone can apply. At this point, we're going to transition over to our Take Action Today segment. And when we come back, we'll get a final piece of actionable advice from Andy. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Andy, we've covered a lot of ground for growing you know, large-scaling businesses to getting into culture and teamwork and all sorts of other things. We've got a lot of individual listeners. What would you say to them that they could take action on to make sure that they're aligned and moving forward in the best way possible? All the New Year's resolutions are now a, likely a distant memory, but what is your personal plan? What is your personal purpose? And does that align with your expectations of your work as an engineer? Unfortunately, I've known quite a few people who have entered the engineering field and ultimately have gone off in other directions because engineering just wasn't for them. So I've developed something called the Personal Planning Guidebook, which is available as a free download, free resource for your listeners on my website at andrewtempty.com. And I would just ask your listeners to think carefully about you know, complete that exercise and think carefully about why am I here on this planet? And I know that's a really big philosophical question, but it's a many people ask that question of themselves far too late and end up going through all sorts of challenges and uh, periods of imbalance because they haven't answered those fundamental questions of why do I exist? Why am I here? And how does all of that align with the profession that I've chosen? Because my goal is to ensure that your listeners are healthy, happy, and well-adjusted and productive in their careers. There's no uh, job productivity waste that's greater than disengagement in the world of work. Go grab that resource from Andy's website, andrewtempty.com, and go fill that out and get some clarity on your purpose and take action on that. So, Andy, this has been fabulous. 
if people are interested in connecting with you or going and checking out either of your books or any of your other resources, where would you point them? Everything I do is at andrewtempty.com. There's no P in my last name, so it's just T-E-M-T-E. I'm sure you'll have it in the show notes of your website. I've got two books. I've got a podcast called The Balancing Act Podcast, which uh, may be of interest to your listeners. Got the personal planning guidebook. We're just growing from there. We'll have a course out, uh, a digital course out soon for your, your listeners as well. Andy, thanks so much for being here. Wishing you nothing but continued success as you continue to get this book out and the message that can help individuals and businesses all over. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode as well as links to any of the resources or websites that we mentioned in the episode. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars for this month at the website as well. Additionally, for any engineers who feel like they need extra help taking the next career step or finding clarity in their careers, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at engineeringcareeraccelerator.com or you can go grab my career clarity checklist found at www.engineeringcareeraccelerator.com slash career dash clarity. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.